2020. Can you believe that? It's incredible. I can't believe we're already at 2020. I've been thinking about it all week long. And, and uh, Oh, yeah, just one little practical note before I go any further about this 2020 day. I don't know how many of you caught the article that you should be careful how you write the year on your checks. Everyone, did you hear that? Okay. Most of you did. For those who didn't, uh, I, had, I wouldn't have thought of this, but you know how oftentimes we just put, you know, the two-digit year? But if someone could take, say, a canceled check, if it just says, say, 1320, someone could grab it and, say, change it to an add 21, and all of a sudden the check becomes cashable again. Well, what's a check? That, that's a good point. I'm showing my age. It's a good, it's a good point. Bottom line is, if you are still writing checks, <laughs> write out the whole four digits. So there's some that'll, that'll uh, maybe save you some money this year. Who knows? 2020, write out the whole four digits this year to keep yourself safe. You guys have any trouble when the new year comes writing, you know, 2019 still instead of 2020, right? I do that too. But just as I was just writing 2020 this week, it was sort of reminding me, I had a flashback. Because I remember really, really um, distinctly when it turned from 1979 to 1980. And I don't know why that's a really vivid memory in my mind. But I just remember like 8-0 seemed like such a, like it was a major milestone date. And I remember everyone saying like the 80s is going to be the year, decade of computers. And there's going to be a computer on every desk at work. Are you crazy? That's insane. Computers are huge. You know, and so there was just this anticipation for, the, you know, this, this bright new horizon of the 80s. And, and of course, they've come and gone. And, and then, of course, then 2000, right? Everyone was excited about, whoa, like a whole new millennium in 2000. Actually, this is a picture I just got uh, last week. Someone named Amy Vinji, the second girl here on the left. She had uh, sent me an email last week just saying, I found this last week from the year 2000 when I was in junior high youth group here at Wintonbury, when you were leading the youth group. And it just got, it dawned on me to write you and let you know I'm still walking with God 20 years later. I want to thank you for the, you know, Wintonbury and the youth group and all it did for me. And, and those of you who've been around a while might recognize some of these faces. So Michelle Kroll, Amy Vinge, Taryn Miller, Seth Brewer, and Thelma Marshall. And uh, what's that? Is that Daniel? Oh, because she had Seth written underneath that, but that's why I said Seth. But anyways, so she got him confused, I guess. So anyways, but, you know, as I look at that, it's just, it's, it's kind of weird because, again, remember, when 2000 came, it was like, wow, it's like 2000. And that's 20 years ago now, 2000. This date that we were, like, so anticipating and thinking it was, you know, remember Y2K crisis and... We were all, you know, is the world going to fall apart because the computers can't handle the 20 date after 19 all these years? And, and then after that, it was, you know, 2020, and that's like an iconic date. And what's life going to be like in 2020? And aren't we, we're always extrapolating into the future and wondering, what is it going to be like? And I wonder, you know, when I saw this picture and I got Amy's email, you know, I started wondering, what were they thinking 2020 would be like in the year 2000, you know? Would they be surprised where they are? Would they be where they thought they would be? You know, and as, as we look ahead, 20, 40, 50, you know, where are we going to be? We have an idea. What is that going to look like? We, human beings have a fascination with the future, don't we? Star Wars and all these things, and we're always looking into the future. But a lot of times, those, those things make us look pretty silly. 
I don't know how many of you saw it, but there was an article that made the way around the internet this week. It was a study done in 1964. I don't know if any of you saw this, by Rand Corporation, a technology company. And they got together 82 experts across all sorts of disciplines. I mean, Nobel Prize winners among them. These were the smartest, most intelligent uh, scientists and experts in every discipline. 82 of them got them together, and they said, what's the earliest date that we can expect some important human progress milestones in the future? And they wrote a paper. And I just want to share with you, now this was done in 1964, the year I was born. So in 1964, the leading experts of the world, here are some of the predictions that they made. Just go two at a time. By 1980, we'll have robots as household servants, and there'll be a manned landing on Mars by 1980. These are not just people dreaming. These are the people making these things happen. This will happen by 1980. Uh, next two. They said by 1995, human lives will be extended artificially by 50 years. And we'll have automated voting. And I was thinking, we still don't even have that, right? I mean, that seems like the easiest one, and we still don't even have that, right? There's a couple more. Directly recording information to the brain by 98. A military force on the moon in 1999. You know, and I remember back in the 70s, there was a show. Um, do you remember it with Martin Landau, Space 1999? Is that what it was Anyways, but I just the date seemed like so awesome, right? 1999, we're going to be living, you know, Jetsons kind of thing. A military force on the moon by 1999. A couple more. They also predicted there'd be two-way communication with extraterrestrials by 2000. Again, these are not quacks. These are the leading Nobel Prize winning, most intelligent people on Earth. By 2015, long-duration coma to allow time travel. And then finally, by 2020, the last one, breeding of apes and animals for menial work. And they said, in particular, by 2020, you will not be driving your car. Apes will be driving and chauffeuring us around. They literally, and then they gave an entire reasoning for why they believe that would be true. This was not a joke. This was really serious. CNN, the article then kind of summarized, what was the point of all this research? Where were they trying to go with this? And here's a quote from that, that that I think is very telling. The, pr the predictions, the studies forward said, reflected, quote, explicit, reasoned, self-aware opinions that should lessen the chance of surprise and provide a sounder basis for long-range decision-making. In other words, you know, what they were trying to say is, we want to try now to know where everything's going in detail, and, be, and, and, and once we know all that, then that'll enable us to make good decisions right now. And aren't we a lot like that? We want all the details laid out for us. We want to understand everything before we take a step out. But human wisdom, even the brightest human wisdom and, and understanding, is often very silly. Even at its best, it's silly. So how are we supposed to go into our future? If human wisdom is not something we can rely on, if, and, and God doesn't necessarily give us a blueprint, how do, how do we walk into the future? How do we make long-range forecasting isn't a bad thing? There's not, every company, every church, every family, every person should have some sort of plans into the future and where are we headed here. How do we do that? How do we go about that? How do we navigate a new year? 
So what I want to do is I want to take a moment to have us take a look at the scripture and what it says here about the future. In James chapter 4, what I want to do is I want to break us into some small groups this morning, okay? Five or six of you who are around you group up together. And I want us to look at James chapter 4, verses 13 and 17. Read the scripture in your group. And then note what it says about planning for the future and making decisions. And just note the details. What are the details in there? And then I'd like to hear from a few of you, and we'll discuss that a bit before we go any further this morning. So go ahead, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Get along around with those five or six of you around. All right, let's come back together. So I'd just love to maybe get a couple of you, two or three, to just share. What are some, just some details, some observations, thoughts from this passage when it comes to future decision-making? Anybody? Back there. Oh, Al? Okay, so one day at a time, moment by moment, not being maybe part of the idea there is, is don't get all focused on the future. Okay. That's a thought, Steve. Our plans are not necessarily his, so we shouldn't just make that presumption. Just because we're Christians doesn't mean that our plans are his plans. Excellent. Other thoughts? Yes. Stop trying to control everything and let God guide you. Good. Elijah? If you're too focused on the future, you'll miss the present. Good. All good thoughts. Any other thoughts? Wayne, there's a difference between preparing and planning. What's the difference in your mind? Okay. Okay. That's an interesting thought. I haven't thought about it that way. That's interesting. That planning is where it's like I decide what's going on and assume it's what God wants as well. Where preparing is, okay, Lord, I'm going to walk into this as prepared as I can to follow you and let you kind of guide me. Is that kind of what you're saying? So that's really good. I like that differentiation between preparing and planning. Uh, maybe one more over there, Deb. God is faithful, so trust him. You don't have to have it all laid out and figured out. It's good. We can trust him. All of those are really good thoughts. Before we go any further, let me just, just pause for a moment and ask God to guide us as we go through the rest of this morning. Lord, thank you that by your grace, you have ushered all of us into a new year, into a new millennium, and I mean a new decade. And this is all because you have deemed that each one of us should be here at this time. And we're not here randomly, we're not a feather just uh, blown around by the wind aimlessly, Lord. You are, you know what you're doing. And so, Father, I pray you guide us as human beings who are prone to planning, and planning isn't necessarily a bad thing, but, Father, would you please help us to, to strike that balance of trusting you, preparing with an open hand. Guide us, Lord, during this time. Father, we want individually as families, and as a church to follow you and to do your will. 
Help us, Lord, to discern what that is and to walk in it. By your power and your grace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think a key thing in all of this is, you know, he says when you talk about your planning, if it's the Lord's will, right? If it's the Lord's will, we'll do this or that. And, and I don't think that's meant to be, by the way, a legalistic, like you always have to say, if it's the Lord's will. You know, that's not the point. It's, but it's the heart attitude of I'm relying on God, right? If it's the Lord's will, we will do this or that. And the question is, how do we discern God's will? Because as we just said a moment ago, it's not necessarily a blueprint. It's not like we wake up in the morning and like Harry Truman used to do with his cabinet, which uh, for every cabinet meeting, her, uh, Harry Truman used to have a manila envelope on the chairs of every one of, of his directors. And when they would open it up, it was his detailed instructions for them for that day. Uh, Harry Truman was the ultimate when it came into almost micromanaging. He was a detail guy. You know, and I, some days I wake up and I wish that God left me a manila envelope that I could just open up. And it tells me, okay, Andre, you're going to get into an accident today. Here's how I want you to respond. And you're, you know, you're going to get into an, uh, someone's going to make you angry. Here's what, here's what you should do. And, you know, I, and here's the right way to interpret verse 17, which is a difficult verse. You know, I wish I had that every day, don't you? But we don't. We don't. So what are we supposed to do? And I got thinking about this as we think about this new year and going into it. And, and, you know, we always have these, we start thinking about our vision as a church, start thinking about our individual lives, where is this all going? What do we do when we don't have that detailed agenda from God? And I started thinking through Scripture, and it's just, it's God's way, isn't it, to not give us the details. Think about all the people in Scripture who didn't have details. I thought right away of Abraham, right? Right in Genesis, when God comes to Abraham and he says, go to a, a land I will show you. It's like, well, it's a little hard to know where to go, and you don't even tell me that, you know? Just go, and I'll guide you, you know? And just this very general kind of instructions. And one I got uh, another story that made me think of this right off the bat was tomorrow is Three Kings Day. And uh, by the way, here's a picture that Al Bjorklund drew of uh, the three kings. Very nice. Good job, Al. And um, tomorrow's Three Kings Day. And the whole point of Three Kings Day is to think about the role of the wise men in the Christmas story. And think about them, right? We often don't really contemplate the situation they were in. They just have this generic prophecy, which didn't even come from their own, you know, their, their own religion. They have this generic prophecy that's a word from God, and somehow, even though they aren't Jews, they recognize it really is a word from God, which is amazing. And then all they have is what to follow? A star to navigate their future. That's all they had. That's all, that's all God gave them, a generic prophecy with no great details and then just a star in the sky to follow. And oftentimes that's all God does is he just gives us this, these generalities and then we're to follow him. Well, what are those things? What are those stars that we can navigate our life by? What are those things? I believe we discern them as we seek him, obviously. I think that's an obvious answer, right, in prayer. And so we try to do that. As a church, we did that last year. If you were here, we did 40 days of prayer last year. And those 40 days from January to March, we spent that time doing two things, if you remember, alignment and assignment. 
And alignment was, how can we get aligned with God and his will? What is his will? And so to do that, we prayed, we fasted, we, we tried to say no to us, and Lord, study the scripture, all those means God's given us. And then after we had, then from the, we finished the alignment with the solemn assembly, if you recall, a day of, of humbling ourselves before him and saying, Lord, you lead us, we can't lead ourselves. And then that led into assignment. And I thought this would be a good opportunity, actually, so just to take a little detour, let me give you some updates on some of those assignments. Again, these are some of the stars that we felt like he gave us in terms of what he wanted us to do. And, and I just want to tell you where we're at with those, so go ahead. First of all, you know, the two main things we think God's telling us is we need to make disciples and empower his people for whatever God's called them to do in the kingdom. Those are the two main things. And there's many ways we go about those. With making disciples, one of the things God laid on the heart that came out in the speaking sessions was deaf ministry. Uh, the deaf culture is, a, is the least reached people group in the United States, the deaf community. Um, least reached of everyone in the United States. Most uh, of the deaf community has not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Hartford is one of the greatest concentration of deaf in the United States because American School for the Deaf, which is a leading school for the deaf in the country. So we have an amazing opportunity right around the corner. And then during the prayer time and during the, the, the coming together and having people share what's on their heart, found out that several people had deaf ministry on their heart. So there's a connection point. Watching for the connections that God's bringing together. We didn't start 40 days saying we're going to minister to the deaf. That came out of seeking God. And then since then, about a month after we finished that, our denomination said we're going to begin a new emphasis on reaching the deaf community. We were like, wow, that was a confirmation. And now just so you know, there's a group of people working together on how are we going to go about this. As a matter of fact, one of the Wednesday Night Live classes, if you weren't here last week, is on understanding the deaf culture and learning sign language so that when we do reach out to the deaf community, there will be people here already able to say, hi, it's good to see you. We're glad that you're here with us. And we'll be able to welcome this community who needs to know Jesus. So that was one thing that we felt like we didn't have that in the plan. That came out as we were going through listening and praying. Empowering God's people. One of the things, we went into it with one idea staff-wise, and we came out of the 40 days with a whole different idea. And where we were led at the time was, and still are, is to hire what we're calling an equipping pastor. So just so you know there, there's a group of people led by Lori Schofer working on that. Please be in prayer. They're down to a couple candidates that have reached the third phase of four phases. So once it gets to the fourth phase, that's when it gets really serious. The third phase means they've, they've passed the first couple hurdles. We've had over 30 candidates. Um, and so be praying because it's really important we make the right hire here. And then we also talked about the potentiality. This is not a, a given thing but of a nonprofit whose purpose would be uh, to help people as God puts kingdom dreams in their hearts to release those dreams. And how do they go about that, just to kind of make it a uh, summary fashion. Now, I share all this to say, these are, this is where we felt God was leading us coming out of that time. And so we began to prepare in Dwayne's use uh, terminology. And now as we head into this year, there are some things happening with the deaf thing. The nonprofit, uh, Kyle is doing some training, our discipleship uh, director, equipping pastor. We haven't hired someone yet. We thought we would by now. So in all of these things, we have to have an open hand. 
even with these things, even as God, and I think part of going and navigating into the new year is, okay, Lord, we seek you first. You put these on our heart. We, we start to pursue these like the wise men. These are some, we start going in this direction. But sometimes even when you go in that direction, you still have to be open. You don't say, okay, now I know his will and I'm going there. We're done. So even now we have to have an open hand. Maybe God will redirect us. Are we open to that? Are we sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our lives? And think about that not just as a church, but individually as well and in my family. Or have I already figured out my course and I'm going there and I'm not open to today, maybe God will redirect me. So in light of that, we have to continue praying. We have to continue seeking God. We don't say, okay, we're done with praying. Now we just implement. No, we continue to seek God. And so starting tomorrow, we're asking everyone to begin this devotional we want to do together as a church. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. It's called Praying the King's Agenda. So if you have, you should, everyone should have one of these. They're in the upper lobby uh, on a table if you don't. We don't have to look at them right now. Just make sure you grab them before you leave this morning. But we're going to be, what we'd like to do as a church is to get ourselves aligned with God and with each other by doing this devotional together. Just 21 days starting tomorrow. Now, I just wanted to read to you uh, one of the paragraphs in the opening introduction just to give you an idea of where this devotional is headed and why I thought it was a good one for us to do. By the way, this devotional is produced by our denomination, so there's, there's all sorts of churches around the world actually walking with us in this. But one of the paragraphs says this, when we pray, we want to pray the agenda of Jesus Christ himself. We want to pray the king's agenda. That same Jesus who's king of kings has communicated so much to us in his word. He's told us about himself. He's told us what he commands. When we pray truth about our Savior and pray according to his commands, we must be on the right track, no? What Each of the 21 days, you're going to read a, something that Jesus declared and commanded to his disciples. We're going to look at his words. We're going to look at what Jesus said, I want you to do this. I'm commanding you to do this and delve into that. And the thinking is, we may not have the detailed brief from Harry Truman from the Lord every day, but we do have his word. And part of walking with God is learning how to go through the Scripture and how to hear God's Word through the Scripture. And instead of just praying, you know, God invites us to pray. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. So then I want a yacht, right? I mean, how do we pray? We pray according to His will. What's His will? Well, we look at what Jesus said. Because Jesus reveals the will of the Father. And so each of the 21 days is something that Jesus said to His disciples that we want to consider. This is praying the king's agenda instead of ours. Taking what Jesus has revealed and praying it back to him. These 21 days of focused prayer won't begin to exhaust all the scripture reveals about Jesus or all that comes from him, but it's a wise start. And it sets a pattern you can continue. Each of the day there's a scripture of Jesus speaking, and then there is a little commentary on it. There's a way to think about it, a prayer. And then there's a page to just write your own personal responses. Also on our website, if you go on our website, you'll be able to uh, put in anything that you feel like God is uh, speaking to you as you're going through. As you're going through these devotionals, if you feel like God's putting something in your heart that you'd like to share, there's sort of like a blog sort of thing on the website where you can go on and share that, and we can kind of see what everyone is saying. 
Uh, we'd love to get that too, to get a, a kind of a, a pulse of how is God speaking to us as a body as a whole. So starts tomorrow, praying the King's agenda. And uh, each Sunday, I'm going to start the message just by talking a little bit and getting some feedback. What did you think? Let's try to have a discussion on this together as a group, okay? So that starts tomorrow. And again, what we want to do here, the goal is that we get in sync with his agenda. We're not just making plans for 2020 and charging into it, but we're pausing and we're saying, God, what is your agenda for me, my family, for this church? And he could speak through any of us. And at the end of the day, the main goal is not that we do all these great things for God, but that we get to know him better, amen? That we get to know the king himself. This is what Paul prays for the Ephesians. I want you to read this passage with me from Ephesians all together. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. This is what we're praying for. Lord, we need wisdom. We saw in that 1964 study where human wisdom gets us. <laughs> Silliness. We need wisdom. We need revelation. We need direction. How do we get that? We get that by seeking him and by knowing him. It's as we know him. He's the North Star. As we get to know him in his ways, in his heart, in his word, it's, it, yes, it's not the specific itinerary of the day, but you won't go wrong if you aim for Jesus. You won't go wrong if you aim for Jesus. And that's what we want to do. That's what Paul is praying here. I'm praying you know him better. I'm praying that you know him better. William Barclay in his commentary said very simply, but I liked what he said. He said the Christian life could be described as getting to know God better every day. A friendship which does not grow closer with the years tends to vanish with the years, right? And it's so with us and God as well. A good goal would be I want to grow closer to Jesus this year. I want to get to know the king better this year. You know, I, when, when I was kind of growing up, I would have defined the Christian life as, well, it's you read the Bible in the morning, then you make sure you pray for everything you're supposed to pray about, and then you give 10%, you know, to, to the Lord, and, and then you volunteer for me. That's the Christian life. You know, it's, you share Jesus with people, you talk about. And I would have described the Christian life in all of these things that we do. But I think Barclay's right based on Jesus' prayer. It's about getting to know Jesus better. And whatever that in whatever way that works for you in terms of getting to know him better. The fruit of that, which gives us these points that we can use to, to triangulate direction for our lives, the fruit that comes from knowing him is the very next passage. So go ahead and, and read it with me again, but this time with the next two verses added. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That's the vision we need. That's what Paul is saying. Instead of giving the Ephesians this whole list of, okay, do this, do this, he's, instead he's saying, listen, set your heart 
on gaining wisdom by knowing God. Get wisdom through knowing God. And when you, when you do that, he's going to open your eyes to see three things that will be stars for you as you move into your unknown, uncertain future. And instead of throwing yourselves into planning and making sure i got to do everything just right and have everything set so that nothing goes wrong and my kids are okay and I'm okay, no, set, set your compass on these things. The hope to which he's called you. I pray that your eyes would be open, that you would see the hope to which he's called you. What is that? That's talking about your past. Some of us, our lives are defined by our past. The pain we suffered, the trauma we went through, the difficulties, the sins, that we've never been able to fully accept God's forgiveness. And shame, guilt, anger, unforgiveness, poverty mentality, whatever it might be, these things hold us back because our path, we're still being defined by our past. God is saying, stop focusing on that. You've been, I have saved you out of despair, out of the darkness. I want you to focus on the hope I've called you to, which is you have been cleansed from all that. That's the gospel. Your past has been cleansed and redeemed. Don't let it hold you back any further. Focus on the hope not the despair. Focus on the riches of his glorious inheritance and his holy people. What is that talking about? That's talking about the future. And notice it's not our inheritance, it's his, and his inheritance is what? Us. We're his inheritance. This is talking about something that theologians call glorification. In the future, when God, Jesus, when God makes all things right, we are going to be standing there as trophies of grace displaying the wisdom of God to all of the universe. We're his inheritance. We're his delight. Understand that that's our future, glorified in him, completely perfected, regardless of where I'm at right now. Set your compass on that instead of, oh, man, I got to do this, I got to do that. And then finally, in the present, and his incomparably great power for us who believe, and he goes on to say, this power was shown in us when he raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection power of Christ is what's at work in us now. And so we are called to be people who have these as our stars. This is how I'm going to define my life, by these truths. Not by my ideas of what I want to have happen or by what my past tells me. Now, again, many of us, we, that's just too general for us. Just, just Jesus, just point to Jesus, just have his truth in my mind. And, but that's the surest course. That's the surest course. Otherwise, we're going to be falling back on our own wisdom. Um, I saw a quote in one of the Advent devotionals that many of you were following along with from Biola, and I really like this quote because I think it gets at what we're talking about here. Go ahead and bring that up if you would. Um, he says, in what world do you live your life? As you, as you think about going into 2020, what world do you live your life? Is it a world mainly of your own making? that might seem like a safe world, seemingly under your control and desires. Got my finances in order, got my plans in order, got this in order. But is that real, reliable, and good? Or do you live with even your vulnerabilities as if you are actually in your father's world, a truly God-bathed world? And that just has me thinking, at least for me, who, who, am I, who do we rely on? What am I relying on?
relying on for when I need wisdom and guidance, where do I go? And, and how do I generally see the world? Is it through how I can make things, fix things, and get things ordered? And if I have a quiet time, then God's going to bless me. And so in a way, I'm manipulating God. You see what I'm saying? Or is it I have the attitude of this is the Father's world. His fingerprints are everywhere. Everything I do, I need to be looking, where's the Father in this? Where's the Father in this? The gracious Father who loves me. And be walking in this, it becomes, life becomes an adventure instead of a fear-filled what's going to happen tomorrow. I think this is how God wants the children of God to walk. There's a book I've been reading uh, over the break. It's called Love Does by Bob Goff. I don't know how many of you heard of this. Um, discovering a secretly incredible life in an ordinary world. It, it fit that devotional perfectly. But Bob talks about this idea of, as Christians, we are so often, you know, we say we believe in a supernatural God, but we live our lives just like those who don't have any supernatural activity in their lives, just in the natural, just by human means and planning, instead of the adventure of following a God who we can't always predict what he does. I was thinking about Moses, right? Moses is, I would have reacted to God in the burning bush the way Moses did. Give me the plan. But Lord, what if this happens? Then what? Well, then do this. Okay. But, but, but what if this happens? What is Moses doing there? He's in front of the presence of the almighty creator who's telling him, go to Egypt. No details, just go to Egypt. I'm going to set people free from those powerful planet, people on the planet. Just go. That should have been enough. If his f- compass is on the Father alone, that's enough. But Moses is more like I am. Well, now what about this? I need, what about this contingency? What about if this happens? How am I supposed to do this? Well, I'm not a good speaker, so I'm not, my gifts don't match this, so I shouldn't be doing this. You see all the logic, human wisdom going on there? And finally God says, Moses, stop it. Just go. <laughs> this is what we're talking about. In his book by Goff, he shares a story that I think kind of captures what I'm trying to encourage us to think about individually and as a church as we head into this new year. He talks about this story. There's a race that's run for the last 51 years. It's called the Transpac Race. Anybody ever heard of the Transpac Race? I never heard of it. Okay, just a couple of you. It is a sailboat race. Um, well, typically Los Angeles to Honolulu, but like this year it's going to Tahiti. But anyways, um, it's a sailboat race. And the distinctiveness about this race is that you cannot use any computerized aids. You can't use a GPS. You have to sail strictly by the sun and the stars in a sailboat. So Bob and his friend, who are not sailors, always thought, that sounds like a great adventure. We'd like to do that sometime. So when they were in college, leave it to college students, right? I'm kidding. You got to love the, the, the openness. When they were in college, they decided to go for it. So they got a group of guys together. They got a 35-foot sailboat, which actually is not very big at all. Um, and this isn't the actual boat, but just picture this as I talk about the story, okay? Um, and they found a friend who was in the Navy and was a navigator. And so they said, we're all set. As long as we have him on board, you know, we're good. 
And this guy had this stack of books, and he had all sorts of really fancy equipment. And he said, I'm good. You guys don't even worry about it. We're good. And so that, they put their trust in this guy. A week before the race, the Navy changed his, uh, his, his, his orders, and he had to leave. And he said, I'm sorry, guys. I can't go on the trip. So now they had to decide, are we going to go or are we not going to go? So they thought about it, and they decided, we're going. One of us has got to figure out how to navigate. So they took straws, you know, and talk about this is going against every risk management pl- principle on the planet, right? They took straws, and everyone uh, went, and Bob got the short straw. So he goes, okay, now what? He had a couple days where he had other things to do. So three days before the trip, he finally got a chance to go to the, to the water marine store. And he walks in, and he's, like, looking at everything. And he was in aisle three where the sextants were. And, and he was like, like, oh, my goodness, how am I going to do this? And so one of the workers in the store came over to him and said, do you need help? He goes, yeah, yeah, how do you use this thing? We're going to be doing the transpac, and i got to navigate. I've never done this. Can you tell me how to do it? And he goes, and the guy is an expert. So he starts going into all the details. you got to do this and do that. I could read it to you, but it was like a page and a half of material, so I won't read it to you. But he goes into all the details based on the wave heights and based on the sky and based on the weather and based on this, and, and then you got to measure this and measure that. And, all, and after, he said, after 20 minutes... I stopped aisle three guy, and I said, listen, Copernicus, (laughs) I'm not going to remember any of that. There's got to be a simpler way for someone like me to not end up drifting forever in the Pacific. And he goes, well, there is. There is a shortcut way. But there's only one problem with it, and that is that it's not going to, you're not going to be able to stay on one particular course. You're going to be making course corrections like, constantly and he said here's what you do and he gave him a sex and he goes every day you could take a map find due north and then once you find that then find something in the sky and and take a measurement at five of the hour at the hour and then five minutes after the hour and take those three measurements and those lines and they will tell you where you are when you extrapolate those lines generally within a 60 mile radius and Bob said, well, 60-mile radius, I, that's good enough for me. So he took the map, he drew a line from Los Angeles to Honolulu, and then he got his bearings and started on the trip. And the good news is they got there okay. He said they were like one of the last ones there, and they zigzagged all over the place, but they got there. And I just want to read to you his um, summary thoughts. You know, what did he take away from that life experience and uh, I, thought, I thought it was really good. He said this, There's a navigation technique that helped me on the Transpac race and has also pointed me generally in the right direction in life. The concept in sailing is known as dead reckoning. The idea is a simple one. It involves using your compass to take a bearing off a couple of fixed points and then drawing a line from each one to you to determine where you are. So when I don't know the answer to where I am or what God's will is in my life, which is often, I try to get a bearing on at least a couple of fixed points that I can trust. One is Jesus, the Sunday school answer. I take a bearing off of what I know about Jesus, who he is, what he taught, what his character is. And I draw a line from Jesus to me. 
The other line I use is a group of people that, that God has put in my life who have proven to be trustworthy friends, Proverbs-type friends. And I'll counsel with them. And that gives me another fixed line. And then there's the Word of God. And so I have these fixed points that I can use that as I, as I draw a line from them to me and extrapolate, it gives me a, maybe not the specific thing of what to do right now, right here, but it gets me going in the, in the right direction. And I thought that was really good. Let me just read one more thing he says here. I've made refinements and countless mid-course corrections in my life. There have been more than a couple of times when I've navigated potentially disastrous issues and needed more exact and specific direction. And when I did, God gave me the resources to figure it out. So there are times when God will give you a specific. Okay, I'm not saying he doesn't do that. He does. But most of the time, even though this is going to make the guy in aisle three and some religious people squirm, just pointing in the right general direction has been more than good enough as I trust in him and his character and his word instead of my wisdom and my ability to understand what he's saying. I think that's probably because I see myself floating in a massive sea of God's love. And the circle of his grace and forgiveness is big enough and the line leading to him is long enough that I don't have to be measuring latitude and longitude constantly to make sure I'm in the right place. All I need to do is find Jesus, find my fixed points he's given me, and keep pointing in that direction, and he'll get me home safely. He also talked about, you know, what I said earlier. He was taught growing up, well, you got to do this, and Bible study, and memorize these verses, and do, do all these things. And even though it's well-intentioned, it gets us very much focused on us and what we're doing instead of walking with God. One last thing I'll share to kind of wrap this up is I was, I was thinking about all this. I got thinking about Paul when, when the Lord told him to go to Macedonia. All he got was a vision. That's all he got. No specifics. Not Macedonia is a huge place. Where in Macedonia? He didn't have that specific. God didn't give that to him. He just went in the general direction of following the Father. But he was in touch with the Father. And so as we go into this year, let's do that. And tomorrow morning, as we start this 21 days, have that as our heart. Lord, where are you calling us into? Where are you calling me into? Help me, Lord, to find you as the fixed point. Help me throughout the day to be looking for the Father and everything. Keep, keep connecting to that fixed point of where... Father, where do I see you? And I saw a bald eagle the other day. And normally I just say, that's cool. But I was like, Father, that's a gift from you. See, I'm, I'm, I'm orienting myself to the Father in that moment, seeing him in that moment. Bring him into every moment. And maybe just to try to make this uh, practical, one thing that people have done over the years to try to uh, get their finger on this is to maybe have a, oh, as you pray, and tomorrow I'm going to be spending some time in prayer for this year and asking God for guidance. And some people do this practice of a word that is, Lord, give me a word for this year that can just kind of be a truth of yours that I can keep in my, the forefront of my vision as I go through this year. I know my friend Sean Priest, he was telling me I could share that she does this every year. And this year her word is fearless. 
And she said, you know, as she goes through the year, she's gonna, that's going to be a fixed point. God calls me to be fearless. He's given us not a spirit, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, of fear and timidity, but of power, of fearlessness, really. That's her word for this year. It's going to be sort of a fixed point she can keep going back to to get her back on course and towards Christ and towards his will for her life. Brian Bywater said on Facebook his word for this year is taco. I'm not sure what he meant by that. But anyways, I thought that was interesting. Um, and at the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have Citadel of Life, a love here, and they're going to be leading us in worship. And they have a, every year they have kind of a phrase of the year or a word of the year. You can skip all the way through that, bro. And this is their word for this year. All the way to the end, last slide. Keep going, keep going. This, this is their word of the year, phrase, only God. It's their 25th anniversary as a church. And there's no way when you look at the resources they have that they should still be here today. <laughs> and yet they are. So for this year, it's only God. Only God are they here today. Only God can they do anything he calls them to do this year. And that's their watchword for the year. So maybe that could be something practical you could take away from this this morning. So as we go into this 2020, navigating in this new year, he may not give you that. He probably won't give you that detailed daily thing. Do this at this hour, this at this hour, this at this hour. The details. Don't let that fret you. You just keep him as your focus. Keep Jesus as your focus. Some good friends around you who love Jesus. The word of God. These are gifts God's given us so that we can stay focused in the right direction, encouraged Instead of, oh, man, am I going in the right direction? Am I doing the right? And, and just this morose self-focus. But may we get our eyes on him and all that he has for us this year. Amen? Father, we pray that as we go into this year, you would help us as the people of God to walk with you. Lord, we don't want to be a people who just mindlessly go into the year, just doing what we always do. We want to be on journey with you, adventuring with you. And Lord, we pray that whatever it is, whether it's hard or it's exciting or it's uh, whatever it might be, that you would help us, Lord, to trust you in it, to walk by faith and to know that if we follow you wherever you lead us, you'll be there with us. You promise to be. So help us to hold on to you. And may we do your will as we say, your will be done, not ours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Walk in the newness of this year with Christ. Make sure you grab a 21 days on the way out. Start tomorrow. We'll get back to Gospel of Mark next Sunday.